0: The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org.
1: If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, please find the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation in chapter 3. There are some Bibles in the back at the information table. And of course, you're welcome just to listen along. But I encourage you to follow along in a Bible or a Bible app. Revelation chapter 3. Let me forecast for you the coming weeks, too, and months, so you know where we're going. Uh, Next week, we will have Mark Mullery with us, teaching us, one of my favorite pastors and teachers. And then we're going to spend two weeks covering our revised membership materials. And there's a reason for that. We think we'll all benefit, and we think it'll envision us afresh what we're all about as a church. So, I think that will be helpful after that. My friend Josh Fenska will be here, and he is a wonderful pastor and teacher also. And then we will return to the book of Exodus. If you're thinking, did we forget the book of Exodus? No. We're going to spend this summer going through Exodus and see the rich scenes of the Passover. And then in the fall, we will return to Revelation chapter 4. So that's the plan, some good stuff ahead. Today we're in Revelation chapter 3. Isabella is going to pray for us and read our passage.
0: Lord, I pray for the reading of your word today. I pray that you would bless it and you would open our hearts and our ears to ha- see what you have for us today. Amen. All right, this is from Revelation three fourteen through 22. And to the angels of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Isabella, so much. Well, this is letter seven of seven. And we have been receiving some vital counsel from the risen Lord Jesus Christ. How our love must shine into the darkness around us. The importance of our teaching, what we believe. The importance of what's happening in our hearts and the idolatry that can happen within. The importance of our works testifying to the reality of our faith. And the importance of our perseverance. Trusting God through trials and suffering. And now, a last lesson, one that relates to everyone here, the danger, the potential danger of prosperity. Prosperity is a gift, a blessing, and prosperity can be a danger. Having made billions in the oil industry, John D. Rockefeller was asked, how much money was enough? He famously said, one more dollar. In other words, you can never have enough. You can never be satisfied. Quarterback Tom Brady, after winning multiple Super Bowls and what I read, having a reported income of $70 million per year, He once said, this can't be all there is. This can't be all there is. There has to be something more. He wasn't satisfied with all that he had. Actor and comedian Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous. I think everybody should get rich and famous so they can see that that's not the answer. They're each highlighting this this danger of how prosperity can deceive us into thinking we can be truly satisfied by what we own or have or long to have. Prosperity can delude us. It can trick us. It can deceive us into thinking we are spiritually satisfied. And so the risen Lord Jesus Christ asks us today, "Is, is material wealth... Numbing your soul to what you really need. Is what you have or long to have anesthetizing your heart to how much you really need him? That's the issue our Lord addresses here in three parts. Problem, solution, motivation. Problem, solution, motivation. First, the problem. The false satisfaction of prosperity. The false satisfaction of prosperity. Look again at verse 14, please. And to the angel or messenger of the church in Laodicea, write the words of, the solemn pronouncement of, the amen, the it is true. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, or probably the beginning of God's new creation, the one making all things new, the life giver himself says, verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you, literally vomit you, out of my mouth. Now, these words have often been misunderstood and misapplied. Probably a favorite of youth pastors. That if we're just lukewarm in our emotional state, that if we're not spiritually on fire for Jesus... We're in danger of being vomited out. But that's not his point here. His point is not for you to take your spiritual temperature constantly, to see if you're spiritually on fire, emotionally on fire, enough or not, as important as our emotions are. Jesus is drawing a spiritual analogy from their water situation. The waters in nearby Hierapolis were hot springs used medicinally for healing. The waters in nearby Colossae were cold and refreshing, fed by a mountain stream. The waters in Laodicea were muddy and undrinkable. So they brought the waters from Hierapolis into Laodicea via an aqueduct, those hot waters which would arrive in Laodicea lukewarm. And it's said they were often nauseating. Jesus is drawing a spiritual analogy from their water situation. He's using their water to illustrate their spiritual condition. The church in Laodicea is not like those hot healing waters in, La- in Hierapolis. And they're not like the cold refreshing waters in Colossae. Those, words are, those waters, rather, are life-giving Both hot and cold are good in this spiritual analogy. Both are life-giving. He's saying the church in Laodicea is not life-giving anymore. They're not healing or refreshing. And so the life-giver himself is about to vomit them out. I think perhaps meaning they'll no longer be a church. So we should ask... Why are they so nauseating to Jesus? Well, he tells us in verse 17. I want you to notice how verse 17 begins. It begins with, for. It begins with a logical connection. It begins with, here's why I just said that. Verse 17, for you say in Laodicea, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You see, Laodicea had nasty water, but it was a wealthy city. They were located at an important important crossroads for trade. They had a thriving textile industry making clothing out of this famous black wool, and they were famous for their particular eye treatments. They were materially prosperous, and that is not wrong. But it can be dangerous. So notice verse 17 again. Do you see the danger? You say, I am rich. I have prospered. Their conclusion? I need nothing. I'm financially fine, so I must be spiritually fine. I'm spiritually complete on my own. I need nothing. Not realizing, Jesus says, You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, material prosperity had blinded them to their spiritual poverty. That's what's happening here. Material prosperity had blinded their vision, numbed them to the reality of their spiritual poverty. That's why they're making Jesus nauseous. And here's the thing we breathe the same prosperous air as Laodicea. We live in a prosperous city in the most prosperous country in history. And that's not something to feel guilty about. We didn't do anything to achieve that, really. It's not something to feel guilty about. It's something to be careful about. It means we face the same test of prosperity. Prosperity is a gift, and it can be spiritually dangerous. So it's a test. How are you doing with that test? How are you doing with the test of prosperity? So you can have relatively a lot. Or you can have relatively little compared to those around you in San Diego. But either way, we're a prosperous people. And it's possible for us to be failing this test. I read a book recently that Dustin recommended by John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He writes at one point about the discipline of simplicity. he quotes a French sociologist saying, quote, in the Western world, materialism has become the dominant system of meaning. That's a spiritual problem. When materialism, when what you have and own or long to own becomes the dominant system of meaning, when we derive meaning from what we could buy or wish we could buy, when we define our identity by what we own or wish we could own. Comer illustrates, I am what I wear. The designer label. Mm -hmm. Or I am the phone I have. Or I am the car I drive. That's Southern California, isn't it? Or I am the neighborhood I live in. Or I am the, the latest gadget I flaunt. Or wish I could flaunt. Friends, that's when we start to think like the Laodiceans. I've got meaning, I've got identity right here with me, with my stuff, I've got all I need, so I really don't need him. I mean, teenagers, young people, are you hearing how how slippery this is? They thought they were doing well, but their prosperity, which is not wrong, had made them numb. To the condition of their souls. So we should ask, how can we be similarly deceived? Well, Scott Sauls identifies two symptoms of what he calls money sickness. I think this is helpful. Two symptoms of what he calls money sickness. Two ways our money can cloud our vision of our need for Jesus. First symptom, he says, hoarding money for ourselves hoarding money for ourselves, what he calls the fear-based tight fist. Not wise planning and saving for the future, which you should do, but a fear-based tight fist. He says hoarding is trusting in money to feel safe instead of finding my safety in Jesus, ultimately. Second symptom, spending money almost exclusively on ourselves, spending almost exclusively on me, he says, to to fill a hole in my heart, which he calls retail therapy, or to impress others, what he calls reputation spending. Either way, he says, we're trusting in money to feel important or validated instead of finding our validation and identity in Christ. Do you see how this is a spiritual issue? I mean, do you find those symptoms in your own heart? Safety, validation, meaning, identity, in what I have or wish I had. I see them in my heart. And friends, when we see those symptoms... We can be on our way to Laodicea saying, in effect, I don't really need Jesus all that much. That's the problem. Let's see the solution. Second, the solution I would call the true provision, the true provision of grace. The true provision of grace in Christ. Having shown us the false satisfaction of prosperity, the life-giver himself holds out the true provision of his grace. Notice verse 18 now. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined, purified by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Do you hear Christ's invitation? Come buy gold refined by fire. Come receive true spiritual riches, the kind of riches you most need. Come get white garments from me to clothe your shame, his blood and his righteousness, the clothing you most need. Come get salve for your eyes. Get true spiritual eyesight to see your true condition left to yourselves. It is, friends, an invitation of grace. Jesus says, come buy from me to people who have no currency, to people to whom he's just said, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Come, buy from me because he's paid it all. He's probably echoing Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Do you hear the grace Christ is holding out? We have no currency, but he's already paid it all. He's purchased it for you. He's paid the price in full by his death and resurrection. So he says, come come, get true riches, Come get the true clothing you most need. Come get real spiritual vision from me. So how do we take him up on that invitation of grace? Well, read on, friends. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove or correct, and discipline, I teach and train. Those whom I love, I re- Prove and discipline, so be zealous, be earnest, and repent. This is the only letter of the seven where Jesus provides no commendation, no encouragement for this church. But his motive here is love. Did you see that? Those whom I love... And the response to his love he's looking for is zealous or earnest repentance, an earnest changing of our minds. That's what repentance means here. An earnest changing of our minds. What does that look like for you, friends? Jesus is addressing how our prosperity can delude us spiritually, making making us think we're fine on our own. We're self sufficiently fine when we're not. What might earnest, repentance look like for you it might mean a change of mind about your spending maybe you could relate to that idea of retail therapy finding meaning or identity in what you can buy or wish you could buy and a change of mind says i don't actually need all of those things Or it might mean changing your mind about your giving financially. Maybe God has been calling you to greater levels of grace-motivated generosity, but you've been resistant. You can relate to that fear-based tight fist. And a change of mind says, it's all yours, Lord. Use it for your glory. Or it might mean changing your mind about how you view your savings. It's right and good to save. It's right and good to plan for the future. But maybe, like me, that becomes your safety, your security. And a change of mind says, I trust you ultimately for my future. But but this provision of grace, this solution, doesn't it? Doesn't it strike you that Jesus is pointing beyond finances as well? Doesn't it strike you that he's pointing beyond money and bank accounts? Free gold, (laughs) spiritual riches that never pass away. Free clothing, his blood and righteousness to cover your shame. True eyesight to see things for how they really are. Ultimately, isn't this about seeing our need for Jesus more and more. Johnny Erickson Tata tells of a worship service in a remote village of Ghana. She says the most joy-filled, laughter-filled moment in this service in Ghana was when it was time for the offering. The believers there, among the poorest of the world's poor, found joy in entrusting their monies. To God, It became clear to Johnny that it was not in spite of their lack of wealth. It was actually, in their case, because of their lack of wealth, they seemed to have so much joy. And then a woman stood up during the service and, and connected the dots. This woman said, welcome our American friends to Ghana, where we have joy because we need Jesus more. That's the core problem in Laodicea. That lady in Ghana put her finger on it. They were lacking the joy of seeing how desperately they need Jesus and finding then that he is enough. I know God is after this in my own heart. I'm 55. I am officially middle-aged, And I have found in my 50s that middle age can be at times a time of a sense of loss. Our kids are growing up quickly, which is good. We want them to do that, and yet as a parent, it can feel like loss. My body is changing. I can't do all I used to do. It feels like loss. The past number of years have been challenging for all of us. It feels like a sense of loss. I was telling my friend Chris Sillard back there, and the kind of pastor that he is, he encouraged me to pick up Paul Tripp's book on middle age called Lost in the Middle. Now, I've had that book on my shelf for years, <laughs> but now it made more sense to me. Tripp says, we start off life like astronauts, Launching into the great unknown, I mean, kids, teenagers, twenty-somethings—can you relate? You're like an astronaut. There's just upward trajectory before you. Tripp says we end up in life like archaeologists, sifting through the rubble of the past. I know, sifting through a sense of loss. What could have been, but wasn't. The dreams we had, but didn't come to pass. The ways we define success and didn't deliver. We become archaeologists, and that sounds depressing. But Tripp turned that around for me to say this loss is gain. It's gain because, he says, the Lord is stripping away everything else. where We want to find meaning and identity and purpose that we find meaning and identity in him. The joy of needing Jesus more and finding he's enough. True riches, purified gold, true clothing to cover my shame, true eyesight to see what I'm like and what he's like, and we just come to him to buy it with no currency because he paid it all. That's the solution. So what's the motivation? Third, the ultimate privilege of fellowship. The ultimate privilege of fellowship. The Laodiceans... They lacked the joy of needing Jesus more. Jesus, by his grace, provides the solution, but then he adds motivation. The ultimate privilege of fellowship, communion with him. Look now at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now this is not an evangelistic plea. Jesus is addressing believers. He's calling believers to renew their relationship with him. This idea of eating in this culture, it's a picture of fellowship. It's a picture of personal relationship. That's the motivation fellowship, communion with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, personal, close relationship with him. Robert Mounts captures this well. He says, quote, in their blind self-sufficiency, they had, as it were, excommunicated the risen Lord from the congregation. In an act of unbelievable condescension, he requests permission. To enter and reestablish fellowship. The risen Lord is here patiently knocking, knocking, knocking. Why? Because fellowship with Christ, relationship with Christ, ongoing communion with Christ, it's a two way street. He makes it possible, but some response is required from us. And so in unbelievable condescension, the risen Lord is requesting permission to enter this church again and reestablish fellowship with this church. All they had to do and all we have to do is, as it were, open the door. Friends, it's the privilege of fellowship with the one who's more satisfying than anything you can own or acquire. It's the privilege of communion and, and relationship with the one who is more satisfying than anything we can accomplish in our work, our careers, our parenting. You fill in the blank. He's, he's standing there and he's knocking, and he's knocking, and he's knocking because he wants you to know him better and enjoy him all the more. When you open your Bible and you meditate on his word, when you pray to him with thanksgiving and bring your requests, when you declare your dependence on him through fasting, when you gather in small groups and minister his word to each other, when you set aside a Sabbath, for rest, and for worship, and and certainly when you gather in La Mesa Community Center and you hear the call to worship and you respond to truth, in the lyrics of the songs, and we confess our sins together like we did today, and we have God's word ministered to us through preaching, and we enjoy fellowship with him by the Spirit through the Lord's Supper. In those ways and many, many more, you open the door to this sweet, sweet privilege. And not just now, forever. Verse 21. The one who conquers who overcomes. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered, or overcame, and sat down with my father on his throne. I didn't watch it. Maybe you did. Coronation of King Charles yesterday, Westminster Abbey. Imagine if King Charles yesterday called you up and invited you to share his reign with him. That would be quite the honor. Imagine King Charles said, sit up on the throne with me, actually. Get on up here. What an honor that would be. But Charles is, he's just basically a, a figurehead. He's a ceremonial king. Christian, you're going to reign with the king of kings. You're going to reign with the one who's conquered, who overcame. You're going to share in his victory and his exalted reign, and you're going to feast with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is enough for us, isn't he? Isn't that the point in a nutshell? Jesus is enough for me. Isn't that the word that they were missing in Laodicea? Isn't that what the problem, the solution, and motivation all point to? Jesus is enough. I need him desperately, and he is enough for me. So friends, hear his invitation of grace this morning. In love, he says, be earnest, Grace Church, and repent. Repent from ways that prosperity or anything else clouds your vision of how much you need him. Repent from ways that you and I grow numb to our need for Christ. And instead say, Jesus, I desperately need you, and you're enough for me. It might be you've been a believer for a long time, or it might be you need to turn to Jesus for the first time. Either way, come to him and receive true riches by grace through faith. Come and receive the free clothing. Of his blood and his righteousness to cover your shame now and forever. Come and receive true spiritual eyesight. Yes, to see ourselves and most of all, to see him. Brothers and sisters, let us be earnest. Let us, where needful, repent because Jesus is enough for us. A practical suggestion as we close pray through the words of Psalm 73. Verses 25 and 26. Here's an idea. Meditate on, maybe memorize, pray through. Psalm 73, 25 to 26 goes like this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. They will fail. But God, God in Christ... God in Christ is the strength of my heart and my portion, my satisfaction forever. Jesus is enough for you. Let's pray. And take a moment, if you would, just in the silence of your own heart to respond to the Lord and anything in his love, in his love, he's been speaking to you through his word. Respond to his great love about anything that's clouding your vision for your need of him and what he has done for you. Or turn to him for the first time, believing in his life, death, and resurrection to take away your sins and bring you to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you with no money to buy, as it were, purified gold, spiritual riches that last forever. We come to you to buy the garments of your blood and righteousness covering our shame. We come to you to buy true spiritual eyesight, that we might see ever more clearly. We praise you for your grace, and we say, you are enough for us. We thank you in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.